Thank you for tuning in to the City Light West Council Bluff Sermon Podcast. We are a church that exists to multiply disciples and churches that is located in Council Bluffs, Iowa. If you want to learn more about our church, visit citylightwestcb.org or follow us on Facebook at City Light West Council Bluffs and Instagram at City Light West CB. Good morning, City Light. How are you doing? Good. It's good to be back. A couple weeks ago, um, I went down to Arkansas for a camping trip, and that was a lot of fun. But if you would, next time, remind me, uh, Arkansas is a little bit hot in July. Uh, And by hot, I mean surface of the sun. Uh, uh, Fortunately, we were able to get in the water enough. We didn't, like, spontaneously combust or anything, so that's good. Uh, But while we were there, we also stopped in Kansas City to visit some family, which was really fun, too. Uh, My sister just recently put a pool in her backyard, and so we got to play, like, all the fun pool games with my nieces and nephews. It was just so much fun. It brought me back to the days of public pools. Do you guys remember those? Like, 2019 was a simpler time, right? (laughs) But back in the summertime, growing up, we spent lots of time at the public pool. And we like to play a bunch of different pool games. We often would take things and just throw them at each other. Being boys, that was a game enough for us. Um, but one of my favorite games was Marco Polo. Is everybody familiar with the game Marco Polo? It's a tag-type game where the person who's it has to keep their eyes closed, and they call out Marco, and then the people who are chasing say Polo, and then the person who has their eyes closed has to find them hearing only their voice. Everybody knows this game. Now, all that is fine and dandy if you have friends who like to play by the rules. And my friends weren't exactly rule people. So I can remember this one day, we're at the busy public pool and we're playing Marco Polo, and I was it, because I'm not the best swimmer. I was it often. (laughs) Um, And so I'm it, I close my eyes, and I scream, Marco! And I hear Polo, it's like, okay, they're close, we're on a good track here. And I say, Marco, and I hear Polo, it's like, oh, they're getting a little farther away, I gotta speed up. And I say, Marco, Polo, I can barely hear them over the noise of the crowd, and I go, Marco, Marco, (laughs) silence. And I open my eyes, and I can't see my friends around me anywhere. And so I'm swimming through the pool, looking for, like, where are they? Where are they? I get up. I go to the bathrooms. I look, and I was like, maybe they did in the bathroom. I don't know what's going on. Nobody was there. So then I, like, looked in all the the beach chairs around the edges. Just nobody was there. I went to concession stand. I'm just like, where are they? And it was kind of at that point in time where it went from funny to not really funny anymore, you know? I sat down on a beach chair and waited for them, and it seemed, it probably was a lot quicker than it seemed like. It seemed like it lasted an eternity, and I just remember sitting in that chair with like a rock in my gut, just being like, man, just angry, feeling betrayed that my friends left me. Like, where did they go? And although it may be a silly example, um, I think the question I asked of my friends that day, we ask of God all the time, like, where are you? 
Like sometimes, follow, follow the metaphor here, sometimes it feels like we're playing a game of Marco Polo with God, where we call out to God one day and he seems really close and he answers us and it's like, okay, we're playing this thing. And then as time goes on, the more we call out to him, the farther away it seems like he's gone until it feels like he's abandoned us altogether. And we're left with the question of just like, man, God, where are you? Where are you? And we look at like the situations in our lives and we ask that question, like, God, where are you? We look at our past and we ask God, where were you? And, and then the scary part is we look into the future and we wonder whether God's going to be there for us or not. This question, where are you, God, is actually handled in our passage today. This morning, our main characters in our story are probably asking that same question of Jesus. But there's good news coming. Eventually, Jesus does show up and he tells them, I am the resurrection and the life. And like, there's something really specific about this I am statement. It's not like the others. This is the only I am statement that's used as a comfort to someone in their moments of doubt. Like every other I am statement comes in the middle of Jesus teaching an eager crowd or rebuking judgmental self-righteous Pharisees. But this I am statement comes as he's consoling a dear friend who's broken down and weeping in front of him. This I am statement serves as a comfort to someone who's been through a lot of trials and tribulations. This I am statement is meant to serve as a comfort. So let's, let's jump into the story and start talking about uh, what Jesus means when he says, I am the resurrection and the life. So we're going to be on John 11. We'll read verse 1 through 3 real quick. Now a certain man was ill, Lazarus of Bethany, the village of Mary and her sister Martha. It was Mary who anointed the Lord with ointment and wiped his feet with her hair, whose brother Lazarus was ill. So the sister sent to him saying, Lord, he whom you love is ill. So we have this story that begins with Lazarus getting sick. And again, we need to read this story, not just consuming the facts of the story, but understanding that these are real people in real time. So for us to really understand what is trying to be communicated here, we need to know not just what the characters were doing and saying, but what they were feeling in the midst of it. So like I can imagine Lazarus gets sick and Martha and Mary first find out about it and they're like, it's not that big a deal. You know how men get when they get sick. Every little sniffle is the end of the world. But then as days go by and Lazarus gets sicker and sicker, they begin to realize that this is no ordinary cold that puts you on the couch for a few days. And like we know from later in scripture, that Martha is like this type A personality. So you can imagine like what starts as worry and concern turns into panic as she's like running around, her brother's still sick. She's like, what are we going to do? What are we going to do? Like get some emergency, some chicken noodle soup, some orange juice. What are we going to do? We got to get him better. And like maybe Mary comes in and says, Martha, calm down. We know this guy named Jesus why don't you send him a message? You've seen what he can do to sick people. And so send a message to Jesus. And so Martha gets out her iPhone or whatever, sends him a little message, or he hits him up on Snapchat, whatever it was. 
And then Jesus on the other side of town, he's preaching to a bunch of people. And wouldn't you know it, a dang cell phone notification goes off. Jesus is like, what I tell you guys about turning your phones off while I'm preaching? And all the disciples are like, Jesus, I think that's you. He's like, sorry. No, stupid. <laughs> Obviously, that's not true. <laughs> they weren't able to simply text message Jesus. It was the first century. But all Mary and Martha know is they sent a messenger to go deliver this message to Jesus that their brother was sick. And so all they know is they sent a messenger out and they hadn't seen or heard of Jesus since they did that. So you can imagine Martha waiting she would wake up in the morning and she would go into the living room and she'd sit on her front chair and look out at the horizon, hoping to see Jesus cresting the hill. And then she'd get on with her daily chores and she would, she would every now and again check the front window and see if Jesus was coming. She'd, you know, knead dough for dinner and she'd sit on the front porch and just wait for Jesus to come, all the while asking like, man, Jesus, where are you? I sent you a message, and I'm waiting for you, and I don't see you coming. And like, man, those restless days were nothing compared to her fearful nights. When she would lay her head down on her pillow, she could hear her brother in the other room wheezing and gasping for air. And all the while, she's praying like, God, where are you? So she keeps, she keeps on like this every day, like what started as like anxiety turned into just fear. She spent more and more time at the window waiting for Jesus to come. And every day that passed, she grew more and more pessimistic that anything would be able to happen at all. The coughs and the gasps and the groans she heard from her brother at night now actually served as a bit of a comfort because at least she knew that he was still breathing. And every night as she heard those gasps, she would lay her head down on the pillow and pray, God, where are you? Until one night, she heard nothing from Lazarus' room at all. She went to check on him and her brother had died. And after all the arrangements were made and after all the, you know, contacting all the family members, everything got ready for the funeral. She went out to the front porch again and she looked out at an empty horizon and she asked herself the question, God, where are you? Martha waited for Jesus and Jesus didn't show up. And like that question, like, God, where are you? We ask that question of God all the time. If we're being honest, like, it's okay. We can, we can be honest about our doubts here. We ask that question all the time. Like, we look at the situations around, like, God, where were you? Where are you, God? In the midst of the brokenness, in the midst of death, in the midst of the lonely nights and the darkest days, we're left with the question, God, and like some of us may have asked that question in the past, but some of us may be asking that question this morning. And I'm really glad that this story is included in scripture to let us know that like that's part of the human condition. 
and to let us know and to give us comfort in the midst of those moments when we're questioning whether God is actually there for us or not. The first way I'm comforted by this story is in John chapter 11, verse 5. It says, Now Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus. It says Jesus loves them. Like Jesus loved Martha, Mary, and Lazarus. He loved them. Lazarus was sick. Lazarus died, but Jesus loved them still. So like for those of you in doubt this morning who are struggling, who are in hard times, like I just want you to know this may feel like a platitude, but Jesus loves you. There's nothing that happens in your life that is outside the reach of his care. He loves you. Not in the big general sense of like God loves the world, but he loves you. He knows you by name. He's numbered the hairs on your head. Jesus loves you. Verse 33 and 35 uh, describe when Jesus first gets to town. It says, when Jesus saw Martha weeping and the Jews who had come with her also weeping, he was deeply moved in his spirit and greatly troubled. And then Jesus wept. I mean, Jesus' response here is so interesting. He saw the pain of Martha and Mary, and he wept with them. And verse 33 said he is deeply moved and greatly troubled. Uh, another one of the translations for that word is indignant, meaning that he was brokenhearted and angry about the effects that sin has had on his creation. He was upset that his people that he loved so much was in pain and it caused him to weep. Man, sin, when it was ushered into the world, brought in with it like a whole season of systematic and worldwide suffering and death. When the world was fractured with sin, there was no area of life that it did not touch. And it, when Jesus confronts the reality of sin and the pain that it causes his creation, he weeps. I just want to let you know that if you weep, God weeps with you. That he loves you. That he's not some indifferent referee sitting up in heaven calling penalties or whenever you're inbounds or out of bounds. He's not up there just waiting to thunderbolt you. Jesus loves you and he cares for you. Jesus is devastated by what he observes in this story. He hates the effect sin has on his, on his creation and he hates the pain it causes the people he loves. So Jesus loves you. Hold on to that in the midst of doubt and struggle. But this is where things start getting a little more complicated. Look at verse 6. So when he heard that Lazarus was ill, he stayed two days longer in the place where he was. Jesus heard that Lazarus was ill, so he stayed. It's not a but he stayed. So he stayed. Jesus intentionally stayed. Jesus heard his friend was sick, so he stayed. I mean, we don't really have like a compartment in our brain for this. This doesn't make any sense to us. Like, why would Jesus act this way? But I think it's important for us to know and be aware that like, man, your seasons of pain and doubt and struggle is not 
purposeless. Jesus, in this story, he acted on purpose. It wasn't however Jesus stayed. It wasn't but Jesus stayed. It was so Jesus stayed. In the midst of your struggle, doubt, and pain, there is a purpose. And like uh, Romans 8.28, it's a popular memory verse. We'll, We'll read it real quick. It says, we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good. For those who are called according to, to his purpose. For those who love God, God is working all things together for good. And that may make you ask, for our good? For our good, really? You mean my mom got cancer for our good? You mean I lost my job for our good? You mean this happened for my good? Preacher boy, are you serious right now? That was for my good? And like first, I understand that feeling because I struggle with that same thought reading that verse. But if we really deconstruct the verse, it helps us understand it a little more in context. It doesn't say all things are good. It says God works in all things for good. So God works together everything that happens in your life for a good. And like if we look and we, we uh, step back, we can look at Romans 8 altogether to understand what God wants us to know in this passage. Romans 8 talks about the groaning of all creation. That's at the beginning. It talks about the brokenness in the world when sin entered, what happened. And so the writer of the verse is like saying like, I know not everything is as it should be. I know all things are broken and life is hard and no one escapes it without getting some bumps and bruises. But in the midst of it, God is still at work. There is a purpose for it. For those in the family of God, he takes all things, good and bad, and he bends them for good. Your life is not an accident. The bad things that have happened to you, the good things that have happened to you, God's desire is to take those things and use them as a way to give you more of himself. So like the answer, the question, I kind of answered it already, like what is for our good In that verse, when he says he moves it all for good, what is for our good? What is our greatest good? Ultimately, our most good is that we have him. Like, ultimately, our most good is that we have the one who created us for relationship with him, is that we have God. That is our most good. Our biggest good is not that we have the perfect job or the perfect family or an easy life. Our greatest good, ultimately, is that we have relationship with God. Remember, in our story, Jesus didn't show up because he loved Lazarus. We often think that God doesn't show up because he doesn't care or that he's punishing us or something like that. But sometimes God doesn't show up because he loves us. That's hard to understand right there. John Piper says it this way. It is more loving to let a person die and let his relative go through grief if it shows more of God to them 
than to not let them die and go through grief. Like what John is trying to say there is like, man, our ultimate good is that we know God. And if we're going to live our whole lives without knowing God, it's better for God to put some roadblocks in our way to drive us towards him. Our greatest and ultimate good is that we would know the ruler of the universe. The greatest good that comes from trials is that we get more of God. Trials, they make us more like Jesus. It brings us into the heart of God, and it reveals to us His glory. Trials are meant to give us more of Him. Romans 8.29 is the verse after the one we just read. It says, For those whom He foreknew, He also predestined to be conformed to the image of His Son. For those He foreknew, when God began the world and He looked out and He saw those who would follow Him, He says, My objective is to make them more like Jesus. God is determined to wear off your rough edges and make you more like Jesus. He's working in all things to make you more like Him. He decided it before the foundation of the world. He said, That person who's going to follow me, I'm going to shape them into the image of my Son. Like we get more language like this in Philippians 1 6. It says, and I am sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion. We get this picture of God willing and desiring and determining, like, man, I want to make this person more like Jesus. If they're going to follow me, I'm going to use whatever happens in their life to become more like me. So man, like in your midst of your doubt and your struggle and your pain, know that God wants to use it to make you look more like him. The seasons of tribulation in our lives are meant for our formation. But it also gives us a glimpse into the heart of God. Psalm 34, 18 says, The Lord is near to the brokenhearted and saves the crushed in spirit. God often uses times when we are brokenhearted to draw near to us. Meaning in times of struggle, he draws near. In our darkest moments, Jesus comes close and Jesus comforts. Like when hard times come, God's desire is not that we would back away from him, but come near to him so that he can comfort us. Man, like, I don't know about you, but when I hit hard times, sometimes I can distance myself from God and be angry at him and say, I want nothing to do with him. But God's desire in our tribulation is that we would draw near to him and be comforted by him. And I know I can't compare this to what some of you may be going through or what some of you have gone through in your past, but... When I first moved to Council Bluffs from Kansas City, I was struggling. Like, I, I, I missed my family. I missed my friends. I hated my job. Uh, we were living in my sister-in-law's basement, and although I'm thankful for her generosity, it's not a lot of fun to live down there. 
And I was struggling and I was mad at God. Like, God, why would you call me out of the things I love into this hard season? Like, why would you do that, God? And I was mad. I wanted nothing to do with him. And then a friend challenged me. He said, Kenan, why don't you go to the Gospels, just read Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, and just get to know who Jesus is again. So, reluctantly, I did. And upon reading the Gospels, I read story after story of Jesus who would come near to those who were broken, those who were left out, those who felt alone. And man, that captured my heart again. Man, that Jesus draws near to those who feel like me. And I moved from angry with God to praying to God again and thanking him that at least he was still there. After a season of being angry at God, I found comfort in him. And I knew him more because of it. And so us, as we come through seasons of trial, I'm like, man, if you're not going through it right now, let's be honest, it's coming. Anybody who's lived long enough knows that happens. I want you to know that Jesus' desire in the midst of your trial, tribulation, is that you would draw near to him and allow him to comfort you in the midst of it. we look back in our story, there's one more thing that Jesus wants us to know about trial here. Jesus hears about Lazarus' sickness and says in verse 4 of John 11, it is for the glory of God that this happened. Meaning, whatever thing you're going through, like God will use your life to impact his kingdom. If you hold on to him, like if you keep going, if you, if you stay firm and faithful to what God is doing and you draw near to him and you allow this season to kind of weather away the rough edges, that God will use your story. Like, man, there's people in this room who were able to speak into the lives of people way more than I can because of their experiences. And so like God wants to use your life to bring hope and healing to our neighborhoods and to bring glory to his name. Like, man, some of you have life experiences that I know nothing about. And when I talk to somebody, it's like, I, I got nothing really to say about that. But you do. God wants to use your story, your times of struggle, to, to also bring peace to others and bring glory to him, to build his kingdom and to encourage the body of Christ. Man, like your season is not purposeless. God wants to use it to make you more like him. He wants to draw you near so you can be comforted by him. And then he wants to use it for his glory. Amen. Let's get back to our story. Heavy morning this morning. <laughs> Is everyone doing all right? <laughs> uh, Y'all so I hope so. <laughs> uh, so let's go to John chapter 11, verse 17. When Jesus finally came, he found that Lazarus had already been in the tomb for four days. Jesus returned after Lazarus had been dead for four days. They sent a message while he was sick, and he came back after he had been dead for four days. And this is important for us to know. Uh, it's kind of included in the text to let us know that Lazarus is dead, dead. He didn't die four hours ago. He died four days ago. There's no return for Lazarus. And so we, we pick up in verse 20. When Martha heard that Jesus was coming, 
She's looking out the window waiting for Jesus. When she heard Jesus coming, she went and met him. But Mary remained seated in the house. Martha said to Jesus, Lord, if you would have been here, my brother would not have died. How devastating. Mary says to Jesus, Lord, if you would have been here, God, if you would have... If you would have just showed up, I was waiting for you. By the, I was looking for you every day. I was waiting. I was being faithful. Lord, if you would have been here. You can practically hear in her voice the fact that she like fell down at the feet of Jesus. Like her anguish leaves her too weak to even stand. She just at the feet of God saying, Lord, if you would have been here, my brother would not have died. She continues in verse 22, but even now I know that whatever you ask from God, God will give you. So Jesus said to her, your brother will rise again. Martha said to him, I know that he will rise again in the resurrection on the last day. So Martha talks about this resurrection on the last day. It's believed that in Judaism, at the, in the Messianic age, Messiah comes, that all men would be raised from the grave, and that there would be a new temple in a new Jerusalem, and all would come to worship God in that moment. When Messiah comes, that will happen. And Martha kind of says this religious platitude, and she says, Jesus, I know you can do all things if you ask God. And Jesus is like, okay, let's go raise Lazarus. And Mary says like, well, I, no, you can't do that. Like on the last day, when Messiah comes, he'll be able to do that. And it's in that moment, Jesus says, I am the resurrection and the life. Jesus reassures Martha in her doubt that everything you're waiting for is here in your midst today. Like you don't need to wait any longer. The time is now because I am the resurrection. You're waiting for resurrection. I am resurrection. All that you've longed for is here now. Jesus is the resurrection and the life. And for all within earshot right now, all you're waiting for is found in him. All you're hoping for, all you're longing for, your deepest desire of your heart is found in Christ. Man, he is the resurrection and the life. Like Jesus is making this profound statement right here in front of Mary that I am the long-awaited Messiah. Everything you've waited for, everything you've pointed back to in the Old Testament is here today. Jesus is claiming to be incarnate, the one who brings resurrection. He's claiming Godship and Messiahship right here in front of Martha. And man, hearing this, Martha would have thought back to like that verse in Psalms that said he knit her together in her mother's womb. Martha would have thought back to like God's promise to Abraham. He would have thought, she would have thought back to like the splitting of the Red Sea and the manna from heaven. Martha would have thought back to the walls of Jericho falling down. She would have thought back to Goliath falling. And Jesus is looking her right in the face and say, hey, it's all pointing to me. That day you've waited for is here in your very midst. 
Jesus is standing in front of Martha saying, I am the source of life. Like everything that was created from the largest star systems in the universe to the smallest molecular structure, I made that. And I know you and I love you and I'm staring you in your face right now. The God of the universe who is eternal from the eternal past to eternity future is looking at Martha in the eye and saying, I'm right here. I'm right here. You need not wait. You need not look anywhere else. I am the resurrection and the life. And then he asks Martha, do you believe this? Jesus is making this claim. And he says, Martha, do you believe this? And Martha said to him, yes, Lord. I believe that you are the Christ, the Son of God, who's coming into the world. Jesus, or Martha acknowledges Jesus as Messiah right here for the first time. And then Jesus goes from there. He walks up to the tomb where Lazarus was laid. And he just says, Lazarus, come out. And a dead man was raised from the grave. Do you believe this? He is the resurrection and the life. At the word of God, the dead raised. At the word of Jesus, new life springs forth because he is resurrection and the life. Do you believe this? Lazarus' story is meant to point us towards our own. Ephesians said we were dead in our sins. But this morning, Jesus is calling out your name. He's calling out the dead things in you to come to life. He's offering new life, and he's offering life abundantly. What John 10 says, he comes to give life and give it abundantly. He offers us new life through him and fullness of life in him because he is the resurrection and the life. Do you believe this? Jesus raised Lazarus from the grave, and just as Lazarus was raised, we are also offered new life in him, all because he chose to die for us. Jesus died to give us life. Do you believe this? He was beaten and scorned, arrested on trumped-up charges, whipped and put a crown of thorns on his head. Then he marched up the hill to Calvary. He was nailed to a cross all so that we could have our sins forgiven. Do you believe this? It's by his wounds we have been healed. Do you believe this? And though he died on a Friday, on Sunday when visitors came to his tomb, he need not someone else come raise him from the dead. Do you believe this? He is resurrection in the life. In church, we hold on. Knowing he's with us, knowing he is alive and still working because he is the resurrection and the life. And like, man, we place our hope in him. We trust in his sacrifice on the cross for the forgiveness of our sin. And we trust in his resurrection from the grave as a sign of triumph over even death. And we continually and anxiously pray for the day when he comes again to set everything right. Do you believe this? And if you do, I'm going to invite you to come take communion in a little bit. We take communion to remember this Jesus. Remember this Jesus who died on the cross and offers us forgiveness for our sin. And then he was risen from the grave so that we too might have new life. And like, I pray that this morning, there's people who are hearing God call their name this morning. Maybe there's people who, who feel like 
there's things in their life that God wants to call out, the dead things in you that God wants to turn for good. He wants to bring life. Like, man, like, I'm praying that God is calling out addiction in this room. He's saying addiction, come out. He's saying insecurity, come out. Anxiousness, come out. Anger, come out. Fear, come out. God is calling your name this morning, and he wants to give you new life and life abundantly because he is the resurrection and the life. We take communion and the cracker represents his body broken for us and the juice, his blood shed for the forgiveness of our sin. And we do this as a remembrance that he offers us new life. And we do it as a celebration that we know he will come again and make all things new. And like, man, for those in this room this morning, I pray if you follow Jesus, you would come take this communion, but you would also realize that God is here with you. Like, man, if you're struggling with doubt, God is here. If you're in a real tough time, God is here. He comforts you. He's calling your name this morning. So we're going to come take communion in just a minute, but we're also going to have a couple people up here uh, pray with you. So if Cole and Nancy want to come forward, Uh, as I pray and dismiss, if you feel like you're in a season where you just need prayer, you feel like God has left you or abandoned you, come take communion, but then also set aside for some prayer. Because we are, we're, we're here as a body of Christ to encourage and pray for each other. And we need God's Holy Spirit sometimes to reveal the things that he's doing in us in these hard times. Whenever I first moved to Kansas City, I needed a friend to kind of guide me and direct me back to the heart of God. So I just want to open up this space as we uh, worship and take communion in just a minute uh, to, to allow you to come pray with these, these people as well. So if, if, if you want to do that, that's going to be open for the next couple songs. I, I greatly encourage that if you're in a season of doubt and struggle, come get prayer. Draw near to God. He doesn't want to use this season to push you away. He wants to draw you near in it. Let's pray. Oh, Jesus. Um, this is a hard word. It's not easy to to confront our own trials and, and our own doubts and the things that are going on in our heads that make us doubt your goodness or your presence even. So Lord, I pray that your Holy Spirit would move, Lord, that your Spirit would do something that no words I could ever say could, Lord, and that's bring life. Lord, I pray this morning that your Holy Spirit would be calling out things in this room, that you'd be calling out names, that you'd be calling out the dead things in us, the sin in us that so easily entangles and gets us distracted from your abundant life that you offer us. Lord, I pray that freedom would come in this room this morning. I pray that new life would come in this room this morning. I pray that people who've been struggling, who've just been plodding through mud, Lord, would find freedom to run and jump in your presence, Lord. I pray that people who feel like they're lost would be found this morning. I pray that people who, who've been playing the church game and they've been coming or, or they've been going to other churches or whatever it is that feel like you've abandoned them, Lord, I pray that they would draw near to you this morning. And you promise that you draw near to those the, the brokenhearted. And, and you draw near to those who are eagerly longing for you. 
Lord, I pray that new life would come in this room today in the form of people coming to know you, but in the form of also people getting to know you again, people who feel like they've been gone for so long, who've been kind of checked out and just checking through the boxes, but Lord, people would come to know you again and have that new life. Lord, only your Holy Spirit can do this, so Lord, I pray that you would work by the power of your word. And Lord, we trust in the fact I'm not praying this in vain because you are resurrection and the life. You can do these things. You will do these things. You are determined to raise the dead things in us. So Lord, I pray that's what happens this morning in this room, in this town. Lord, we love you. It's in your name we pray. Amen. Thank you again for listening. This podcast is not intended to serve as a substitute for gathering with a local body of believers, but as a resource that encourages and empowers you to follow Jesus as your heart is pointed towards the gospel. If you want to learn more about our church, visit citylightwestcb.org.